Hello, and welcome to this podcast from the Bloomsburg Theater Ensemble, A Christmas Carol by Charles Dickens, and an original audio adaptation by James Good. You'll hear Andrew Hubachek as Ebenezer Scrooge and Elizabeth Dowd as the narrator, with other cast members, Willow, Maya, and Thomas Bishop, Amy Renee Byrne, James Good, Annie Kirchner, Abigail Leffler, Daniel Roth, Tom Surcott, Zach Schultz, Henry Turnbow, Lily Wirth, Eric Wunsch, and Michael Yurgis. For a complete character listing, visit our website at www.bte.org. The violinist is Grace Kenny, and the sound engineer is Nick McGaw. From all of us at BTE, the trustees, the staff, the ensemble, and the volunteers, we wish you a joyous and safe holiday season. A Christmas Carol, A Ghost Story of Christmas by Charles Dickens. Molly was dead to begin with. There is no doubt whatever about that. The register of his burial was signed by the clergyman, the clerk, the undertaker, and the chief mourner, Ebenezer Scrooge. He and Molly had been partners for who knows how many years. Scrooge was his sole executor, his sole administrator, his sole assign, his sole friend, and sole mourner. Old Molly was dead as a doornail. Scrooge never painted out old Molly's name. There it was, on the sign above the warehouse door, Scrooge and Molly. The firm was known as Scrooge and Molly's. Sometimes people new to the business called Scrooge Scrooge and sometimes Molly, but he answered to both names. It was all the same to him. On Christmas Eve, old Scrooge sat busy in his counting house. The door to his office was open that he might keep an eye on his clerk, Bob Cratchit, who was copying letters in the outer office near the front door. Scrooge and Molly's, do come in. Oh, Mr. Fred, Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas, Mr. Cratchit. Is my uncle in? Yes, he's in the inner office. I'll announce you. No, no, no. I want to surprise him. You'd best get back to work. Merry Christmas, Uncle! God save you! Huh? Bah! Humbug! <laughs> Christmas, a humbug, Uncle. You don't mean that, I'm sure. I do. Merry Christmas. What right have you to be merry? You're poor enough. Well, what right have you to be morose? You're rich enough. <laughs> humbug. Don't be cross, Uncle. What else can I be? Out upon Merry Christmas. What's Christmas time to you but a, a time for paying bills without money? For finding yourself a year older but not an hour richer? Much good Christmas has ever done you. There are a great many things from which I've derived good, from which I have not profited Christmas among them. I've always thought of Christmas as a good time. A kind, forgiving, charitable, pleasant time. 
It's the only time I know of when people open their shutter parts freely. And though it has never put a scrap of gold or silver in my pocket, I say that Christmas has done me good and will do me good, and I say, God bless it. God bless it! Cratchit, let me hear another sound out of you and you will keep Christmas by losing your situation. Yes, Mr. Scrooge. Please, don't be angry with him, Uncle. Come, dine with me and marry tomorrow. <laughs> You'll see me dead first. Uncle! Why did you get married? Because I fell in love. <laughs> because I fell in love. Good afternoon. I want nothing from you. I ask nothing of you. Good afternoon. Why can we not be friends? Good afternoon. I'm sorry with all my heart to find you so resolute, but I will keep my Christmas humor to the last. So, Merry Christmas, Uncle. Good afternoon. And a Happy New Year. Ah! Merry Christmas, Bob Cratchit, to you and your family. Thank you, sir. A Merry Christmas to you, sir, and to your new wife. The clerk, in letting Scrooge's nephew out, let in two other people who passed by him directly into Scrooge's office. Scrooge and Marley's, I believe. Have we the pleasure of addressing Mr. Scrooge? Or uh, Mr. Marley? Mr. Marley has been dead these past seven years. He died seven years ago, this very night. We have no doubt his generosity is well represented by a surviving partner. <laughs> At this festive time of the year, Mr. Scrooge, when want is keenly felt while abundance rejoices, we find it more than usually desirable to make some slight provision for the poor and destitute. Many thousands are in want of common necessities. Hundreds of thousands in want of common comforts. So, a few of us are endeavouring. Are there no prisons? Plenty of prisons, sir. Yes, and the union workhouses, are they still in operation? They are. Still, we wish they were not. Oh. I was afraid from what you said at first that something had occurred to stop them in their useful course. I am very glad to hear it. They've scarcely furnished Christmas cheer of mind or body to the multitude. And so... Uh, yes, and so a few of us are endeavouring to raise a fund to buy some meat and drink and means of warmth. What contribution shall we put you down for? Nothing. You wish to remain anonymous? I wish to be left alone. Since you ask me what I wish, that is my answer. I do not make myself merry at Christmas, and I can't afford to make idle people merry. I help support the prisons and workhouses with my taxes. Those who are badly off must go there. Many can't go there. Many would rather die. Well, if they'd rather die, they'd better do it and decrease the surplus population. But you might... It's not my business. It's enough for a man to understand his own business and not to interfere with other people's. Mine occupies me constantly. Good afternoon. Scrooge resumed his labors, ignoring the two visitors who withdrew into the fog and darkness outside, where people, shopkeepers, and carriages bustled about. Among them was a child beggar singing outside Scrooge's window. God rest Gentlemen, let nothing you dismay. Remember Christ. 
Scrooge threatened the singer with his ruler with such energy that the child fled in terror. At length, the hour of shutting up the counting house arrived. The clerk instantly snuffed out his candle, put on his hat, and entered Scrooge's inner office. You'll want all day tomorrow, I suppose. If quite convenient, sir. It's not convenient. Oh. And it's not fair. If I was to stop you half a crown for it, you'd think yourself ill-used, I'll be bound. Um... And yet you don't think me ill-used when I pay you a day's wages for no work? It's only once a year, sir. It's a poor excuse for picking a man's pocket every 25th of December. Oh... Well, I suppose you must have the whole day. Be here all the earlier the next morning. Yes, sir, I will. I promise. Bless you, sir. And Merry Christ. Thank you, and good evening. The office was closed in a twinkling. Scrooge took his melancholy dinner in his usual melancholy tavern and went home to bed. He lived in a gloomy suite of rooms which had once belonged to his deceased partner, Jacob Marley, whom Scrooge had not bestowed one thought on since his last mention of him that afternoon. Yet, putting his key in the lock of the door and glancing at the knocker, he saw not a knocker, but... Marley's face? Marley's face. With a dismal light about it, like a bad lobster in a dark cellar. The eyes were wide open and perfectly motionless. His hair was curiously stirred as if by hot air. As Scrooge looked at the phenomenon, it became a knocker again. Startled and with the terrible sensation, Scrooge walked in and lit his candle. He did look cautiously behind the door. Nothing. Pooh. Pooh! Before retiring to his room... Scrooge walked through the house to see that all was right. Sitting room. Bedroom. Lumber room, all as they should be. Nobody under the table. Nobody under the sofa. Thus satisfied, he double-locked his bedroom door, put on his dressing gown, slippers and nightcap, and sat down before the fire with a bowl of gruel. Bells ringing in this house. Chains. Uh, humbug. Uh, won't believe it. Then, passing through the locked door, the ghost of his deceased partner appeared. The long chain he dragged like a tail was clasped about the middle of his transparent body, with cash boxes, keys, padlocks, ledgers, deeds, and heavy purses hanging from it. Oh, no! What do you want with me? Much. Who are you? Ask me who I was. <laughs> who were you, then? Your particular for a ghost? In life, I was your partner, Jacob Marley. Humbug! <laughs> you don't believe in me? Mm, I don't. Why do you? 
doubt your senses. Because a little thing, a slight disorder of the stomach affects them. You may be an undigested bit of beef, a, a blot of mustard. Yeah, there's more of gravy than of grave about you, whatever you are. Mercy, dreadful apparition. Why do you trouble me? Man of the worldly mind, do you believe in me or not? I do. I must. But why do spirits walk the earth? Why do they come to me? It is required of every man that the spirit within him should walk abroad among his fellow men. If that spirit goes forth not in life, it is condemned to do so after death. It is doomed to wander through the world and witness what it cannot share but might have shared on earth and turn to happiness. Uh. <laughs> you, you, uh, you are fettered. Uh, tell me why. I wear the chains I forged in life. I made them link by link and yard by yard. I girded them on of my own free will, and of my own free will I wear them. Is its pattern strange to you? Or would you know the weight and length of the chain you wear yourself? It was as heavy as this seven Christmas Eves ago, but you have labored on yours since. It is a ponderous chain! Jacob, speak some comfort to me. None to give. Comfort comes from other regions and is given to other kinds of men. I cannot rest. I cannot stay. I cannot linger anywhere. My spirit never walked beyond the narrow limits of our money-changing hole, and weary journeys lie before me. No rest. No peace. Incessant torture of remorse. But you were always a good man of business, Jacob. Business? Mankind was my business. The common welfare was my business. Charity, mercy, forbearance, benevolence were all my business. At this time of year I suffer most. Why did I walk through crowds with my eyes turned down, never raising them to that blessed star which led the wise men to a poor abode? Was there no poor home to which it might have conducted me? Hear me. My time is nearly gone. I, I will. But don't be hard upon me, Jacob. How is it that I appear before you in this shape I cannot tell? I have sat invisible beside you many and many a day. I am here tonight to warn you that you have yet a chance and hope of escaping my fate. A chance and hope of my procuring Ebenezer. Oh, you, you were always a good friend to me, Jacob. Thank you. You will be haunted by three spirits. Uh, is that the chance and hope you mentioned, Jacob? It is. I think I'd rather not. Without their visits, you cannot hope to shun the path I tread. Expect the first tomorrow when the bell tolls one. Is, couldn't I take them all at once and get it over with? Expect the second the next night at the same hour. The third on the next night when the last stroke of midnight has ceased to vibrate. Look to see me no more, and look that for your own sake. You remember what has passed between us! Remember! The apparition walked backward towards the window. On each step... 
The window raised a little until it was wide open. From outside, Scrooge became sensible of confused noises in the air. Sounds of lamentation and regret. Wailings of sorrow and self-accusation. Marley joined in with a mournful dirge and floated out into the bleak, dark night. Around him were restless, moaning phantoms, unable to assist the misery they saw about them, having lost that power forever. Scrooge closed the window. Humbug. And in much need of repose, went straight to bed and fell asleep in an instant. When he awoke, it was so dark that he could scarcely distinguish the transparent window from the opaque walls. The chimes of a neighboring church struck the four quarters, so he listened for the hour. It went from six to seven, from seven to eight, and so on. Twelve. It was past two when I went to bed. The clock is wrong. It isn't possible that I, I, I can have slept through a whole day and far into another night. Oh, Molly's ghost. Uh, was it a dream or not? We shall see. He warned me of, of a spirit visitation when the bell tolls one. Quarter past. Half past. A quarter to it. And nothing. Then, light flashed up in the room, and Scrooge found himself face to face with a strange figure, like a child, yet not so like a child as like an old person. Its long hair was white as if with age, yet the face had not a wrinkle on it. But the strangest thing of all was from the crown of its head there sprung a bright, clear jet of light. Are you the spirit whose coming was foretold to me? I am. Who and what are you? I am the ghost of Christmas past. Long past? No, you are past. I don't know why, but I have a special desire to see your light covered. What? Would you so soon put out the light I give? What business brings you here? Your welfare. I'm much obliged, but a, a night of unbroken rest would be more conducive to that end. Your reclamation, then. Take heed. Rise and walk with me. Out the window? But I am mortal and, and liable to fall. Bear but a touch of my hand on your heart, and you will be upheld in more than this. As the words were spoken, they passed through the wall and stood upon an open country road. The city had entirely vanished. It was a clear, cold winter day, with snow upon the ground. Good heavens! 
<laughs> I was bred in this place. I was a boy here. Your lip is trembling. And what is that upon your cheek? It's a pimple. Lead me where you will. You recollect the way? <laughs> Remember it. I could walk it blindfolded. Strange to have forgotten it for so many years. Let us go on. They walked along the road, Scrooge recognizing every gate and post and tree until reaching a little market town. Boys called to other boys, but the spirit and Scrooge walked among them invisible. These are but the shadows of the things that have been. They have no consciousness of us. Scrooge knew the schoolboys and named them every one. Why was he rejoiced beyond all bounds to see them? Why was he filled with gladness when he heard them give each other Merry Christmas? The school is not quite deserted. A solitary child, neglected by his friends, is left there still. I know it. They passed into a large mansion of dull red brick, poorly furnished, cold and vast. In the back was a long, bare, melancholy room with rows of plain, empty desks, but for a lonely boy, intent on reading. That's myself, as a boy, reading Alibaba, yes. Yes, one Christmas time I read Alibaba and, and Robinson Crusoe. Yes, one Christmas when I was left at school all alone. Poor boy. I wish... But it's too late now. What is the matter? There was a child singing a Christmas carol outside my office last night. I should have liked to have given him something, that's all. Ah, uh, let us see another Christmas. Scrooge's younger self grew taller at the words, and the room became darker and more dirty. It was another Christmas when he was alone again, when all the other boys had gone home for the jolly holidays. Then the door opened, and a little girl darted in, putting her arms around his neck and kissing him. Ebenezer, dear, dear brother, I have come to bring you home. To bring you home, home, home. Home, little fan? Yes. Home for good and for all. Home forever and ever. Father is so much kinder than he used to be that home's like heaven. He spoke so gently to me one night when I was going to bed that I was not afraid to ask him once again if you might come home. And he said, yes, you should. And he sent me in a coach to bring you. And you're to be a man, and are never to come back here. But first, we're going to be together all Christmas long, and have the merriest time in all the world. You're quite a woman, little fan. In the hall appeared the schoolmaster, who ordered Scrooge's trunk to be brought down and tied to the top of the coach. The children bade them goodbye, and they drove down the lane towards home. Always a delicate woman was Fan, whom a breath might have withered, but she had a large heart. So she had, you're right, spirit. She died a woman, and had, as I think, children? One child. True. My nephew, Fred.
They were now in a busy thoroughfare of a city. Here, too, it was Christmas time. They stopped before a warehouse door. Do you know this warehouse? Know it? Bless my heart, it's, it's Fezziwigs. I was apprenticed here. Yo-ho! There, Ebenezer! And there's Mr. Fezziwig himself. Oh, bless his heart, it's Fezziwig alive again. Ebenezer! Yes, Mr. Fezziwig. Yo-ho there, Dick! Yes, Mr. Fezziwig. Dick Wilkins, to be sure. Oh, bless me, there he is. He was very much attached to me, was Dick. Oh, poor Dick. Dear, dear. Yo, boys, it's seven o'clock. No more work tonight. Christmas Eve, Dick. Christmas, Ebenezer. Let's clear away, my lads, and let's have lots of room here. Allie-ho, Dick. Chill up, Ebenezer. It was done in a minute. Every movable was packed off. The floors swept, lamps trimmed, fuel heaped upon the fire. The warehouse was as snug, warm, dry, and bright a ballroom as any you would desire to see upon a winter's night. In came Mrs. Fezziwig, one vast substantial smile. In came the three Miss Fezziwigs, followed by six young men whose hearts they broke. In came the housemaid with a cousin, the baker. In came the cook with her brother's particular friend, the milkman. There were dances and cakes and cold roast and plenty of beer. The great effect of the evening was when Mr. Fezziwig led Mrs. Fezziwig onto the floor. Advance, retire, hands to your partner, bow and curtsy, corkscrew, thread the needle, back to your place. Fezziwigs cut so deftly that they appeared to wink with their legs. Then the clock struck eleven. The ball broke up, and the Fezziwigs wished their departing guests a Merry Christmas. Through all of this, Scrooge acted like a man out of his wits. His heart and soul were in the scene. He enjoyed everything, and it was not until Fezziwig made his own departure that he remembered the spirit, who was looking upon him as the light on its head burnt very clear. Good night, night, Mr. Fezziwig. Good night, lads, and a Merry Christmas. A positive light seemed to shine for Mr. Fezziwig tonight. It must have cost him a fortune to have this party, don't you think, Ebenezer? Well, three or four pounds, perhaps, but... It isn't what he spent, Dick. It's the happiness he gives that I'm thankful for. A small matter to make these silly boys so full of gratitude. Small? Why? Is it not? He spent but a few pounds of your mortal money. Is that so much that he deserves their praise? It isn't that. It isn't that, spirit. He has the power, in words or looks, to render us happy or unhappy, to make our services light or burdensome, a pleasure or a toil. The happiness he gave was quite as great as if it did cost a fortune. Hmm. What is the matter? Nothing particular. Something, I think. No, no. I should like to be able to say a word or two to my clerk just now. That's all. My time grows short. Quick. Again, Scrooge saw his younger self grow older. A man in prime of life. 
He was not alone, but sat by a young woman dressed in mourning, her eyes in tears. It matters little to you, very little. Another idol has replaced me. If it can cheer and comfort you in the time to come as I would have tried to do, I have no just cause to grieve. What idol has replaced you? A golden one. I have seen your noble aspirations fall off one by one until the master passion gain engrosses you. Have I not? What then? Even if I have grown so much wiser, what then? I'm not changed towards you, am I? Our engagement is an old one, made when we were both poor and content to be so until we could improve our worldly fortunes by our patient industry. When it was made, you were another man. I was a boy. Your own feeling tells you that you are not what you were. I am. That which promised happiness when we were one in heart is fraught with misery now that we are two. How often and how keenly I have thought this, I will not say. It is enough that I have thought it and can release you. Have I ever sought release? In words, no, never. In what, then? In a changed nature, in an altered spirit, in everything that made my love of any worth or value in your sight. Tell me, if we had never become engaged, if you were free, would you today choose me as your wife, a girl with no money, no dowry? You think not. I would gladly think otherwise if I could. Heaven knows. So take back your ring, please. I release you with a full heart for the love of him you once were. Bill. May you be happy in the life you've chosen, Ebenezer. Goodbye. Spirit, show me no more. Conduct me home. Why do you delight to torture me? One shadow more. No more! I don't wish to see it! But the ghost forced him to observe what happened next. They were in a parlor full of comfort where Belle, now a matron, was surrounded by children. Her husband burst in, laden with Christmas toys and presents. Such shouts of wonder and delight. By degrees, the children were shepherded out of the parlor and off to bed. Uh, Belle, I uh, saw an old friend of yours this afternoon. Who? Guess. How can I? I don't know. Um, Ebenezer Scrooge? Scrooge it was. (laughs) I passed his office window and I could scarcely help looking in. Jacob Marley lies on the point of death, I hear, and there Scrooge was sitting, alone. Quite alone, I do believe. Spirit, remove me from this place. I told you that these are the shadows of the things that have been, that they are what they are. Do not blame me. They wrestled, but though Scrooge pressed the spirit's cap down over its light, he could not extinguish it. Its face, in some strange way, blended fragments of all the faces it had shown him. Take me back! Haunt me no longer! He was exhausted, overcome by drowsiness, and seeing that he was suddenly in his own bedroom, he barely had time to reel to bed before he sank into a heavy sleep. 
Awakening in the middle of a prodigiously tough snore, Scrooge had no occasion to be told that the bell was again upon the stroke of one. He felt that he had been restored to consciousness in the right nick of time for the especial purpose of holding a conference with the second messenger dispatched to him through Jacob Marley's intervention. He wished to challenge this spirit on the moment of its appearance and did not wish to be taken by surprise. For a quarter of an hour, nothing came. Yet all the time, a blaze of bright, ruddy light streamed upon the bed. Is it from the next room? Come in. Come in and know me better, man. Entering the room, Scrooge saw a jolly giant in easy state upon a couch. Though his eyes were clear and kind, Scrooge did not like to meet them, but instead turned his gaze to the surprising transformation his room had undergone. It looked like a perfect grove, heaped with turkeys, geese, game and poultry, mince pies, plum puddings, chestnuts, apples, juicy oranges, luscious pears, and bowls of punch making the room dim with its delicious steam. I am the ghost of Christmas present. Look upon me. Oh, you have never seen the like of me before? Never. Never walked forth with the younger members of my family? I don't think I have. Have you many brothers, Spirit? More than 1,800. It's a tremendous family to provide for. (laughs) Spirit, conduct me where you will. I went forth last night upon compulsion, and I learnt a lesson which is working now. Tonight, if you have aught to teach me, let me profit by it. Touch my robe. Scrooge did as he was told and held fast. All vanished instantly, and they stood on the city street on Christmas morning. There emerged innumerable people, shoppers, diners, churchgoers, on whom the spirit sprinkled incense from his torch. For once or twice when there were angry words, the incense restored good humor directly. Is there a peculiar flavor in what you sprinkle from your torch? There is. Would it apply to any kind of dinner on this day? To any kindly given, to a poor one the most. Why to a poor one the most? Because it needs it most. On they went, invisible, into the suburbs of the city, straight to the four-room house of Scrooge's clerk. Bob Cratchit's? Think of that. Bob has but 15 bob a week. He pockets on payday but 15 copies of his Christian name. And yet the ghost of Christmas present blesses his home. Mother, mother, we can smell the gift. Is it really ours? When will it be ready? When will father be home? 
Are these potatoes mashed enough? My arm's getting tired. Let me taste. Get your finger out of there. Still lumpy, keep at it. Melinda, help me lay the cloth. What has ever got your precious father now and your brother, Tiny Tim? And Martha wasn't as late last Christmas Day by half an hour. Here's Martha now, Mother. Why, bless your heart alive, my dear. How late you are. We'd a deal of work to finish up overnight and had to clear away this morning. There's such a goose, Martha. Do you smell it? Oh, see ye down by the fire, my dear, and have a warm. Lord bless ye. No, Martha. We hear Father coming. Come on, Martha. Hide, hide under the table. Come on, Martha. in on Christmas Day in the morning. Ah, down you go, Tim. Here's your crutch. Mother, we went down the slide on Cornhill 20 times. Did you, Tim? We've been wondering what was keeping you both. Have a seat by the chimney corner, dear. Hello, dear. <laughs> hello. Uh, oh, hello, everyone, but... Why, where's our Martha? Yes, where's Martha? Not coming. Not coming? Not coming on Christmas morning? Here I am, Father. <laughs> <laughs> Merry Christmas, Tim. Come, Martha, we want you to see the plan. Come on, Tim. Peter, bring the goose when you come back. And how did little Tim behave in church? As good as gold and better. Somehow he gets thoughtful sitting by himself so much and thinks the strangest things you ever heard. Oh? He told me, coming home, that he hoped the people in church saw him, a cripple, that it might be pleasant for them to remember on Christmas Day who it was who made lame beggars walk and blind men see. Mm. But he's getting stronger and more hearty, I think. Make way for the goose! Oh, such a goose! And they're stuffing too, Father! Set the chairs round, Peter, and let's, let's all take our seats. Robert, blessing if you please. Grace was said. Then, a breathless pause as Mrs. Cratchit plunged the carving knife into the goose. Oh! See, Ebenezer, eked out with applesauce and mashed potatoes. It is a sufficient dinner for the whole family. Now for the pudding. I confess I had my doubts we had enough flour. Wait, Mother, here's a sprig of holly to stick on top. A wonderful pudding. Spirit, the pudding, it's so small. Ebenezer. Merry Christmas to us all, my dears. God bless us. God bless us. God bless us, everyone. Spirit, tell me if Tiny Tim will live. I see a vacant seat in the poor chimney corner, and the crutch without an owner carefully preserved. If these shadows remain unaltered, the child will die. Oh, no, spirit. Say he will be spared. If these shadows remain unaltered by the future, none other of my brothers will find him here. What then? If he be like to die, it better do it and decrease the surplus population. Oh, man. If man you be in heart, forbear that wicked cant until you have discovered what the surplus is and where it is. Will you decide who shall live, who shall die? 
it may be in the sight of heaven that you are more worthless and less fit to live than millions like this poor child. God, to hear the insect on the leaf pronouncing on the too much life among his hungry brother in the dust. And now a toast to Mr. Scrooge, the founder of our feast. The founder of the feast, indeed. Yes, dear. I wish I had him here. I'd give him a piece of my mind to feast upon, and I hope he'd have a good appetite for it. My dear, the children, it's Christmas Day. It should be Christmas Day on which one drinks the health of such an odious, stingy, hard, unfeeling man as Mr. Scrooge. You know he is, Robert. Nobody knows it better than you do, poor fellow. My dear, Christmas Day. I'll drink his health for your sake and the days not for his. Long life to him, a merry Christmas, and a happy new year. He'll be very merry and very happy, I am sure. To Mr. Scrooge. Mr. Scrooge. The mention of Scrooge's name cast a shadow on the party, which was not dispelled for a full five minutes by the spirit sprinkling from his torch. By and by, the family had a song from Tiny Tim, who had a plaintive little voice and sang it very well. Look, Ebenezer, there is nothing of the high mark in this. See, they are not a handsome family. They are not well-dressed. Their shoes are far from being waterproof. Their clothes are scanty. And Peter very likely knows the inside of a pawnbroker's. Yet they are happy, grateful, pleased with one another, and... Contented with the time. Ebenezer, touch my robe. It's getting dark and snowing pretty heavily, but see, in every kitchen, every parlor, any place where laborers toil or families assemble, there is spoken a kinder word for one another on this day. And now, look here. <laughs> <laughs> Why, that's my nephew, Fred. Is this his house? <laughs> Mary, Topper, everyone, let's have our punch here in the parlor. Do go on, Freddy. Finish your story. He never finishes what he's saying. He's such a ridiculous fellow. I <laughs> is he? was telling you. <sighs> he said Christmas was a humbug. And he believed it too, Mary. More shame on him, Fred. She, Mary, his wife, oh, she's very pretty. He's a comical old fellow, that's the truth. And not so pleasant as he might be. However, his offences carry their own punishment, and I have nothing to say against him. I hear he's very rich. Fred always tells me so. What of it, my dear? His wealth is of no use to him. He doesn't do any good with it. He doesn't make himself comfortable with it. I have no patience with him. Nor do I. Oh, I have! I am sorry for him. I couldn't be angry with him if I tried. Who suffers by his ill whims? Himself. Always. Here, he takes it into his head to dislike Mary and me, and he won't come and dine with us. What's the consequence? He loses some pleasant moments which could do him no harm. I mean to give him the same invitation every year. 
Friends! Oh, he wouldn't! Yes, whether he likes it or not. He may rail at Christmas till the day he dies, but he can't help thinking better of it if he finds me going into his office year after year saying, Uncle Scrooge, how are you? <laughs> if it only puts him in the vein to leave his poor clerk 50 pounds, that's something. I think I shook him yesterday. What? Freddy, I love you. You're such a ridiculous old fellow. <laughs> now, a game of blind man's buff. Ebenezer, touch my robe. No, I have a new game. Uh, here is a new game. One half hour more, spirit, please. <laughs> Very well. We'll stay a bit longer. It's called Yes or No. I think of something, anything, and you must find it out by asking questions to which I can only answer yes or no. Uh, ah, I have it. Fire away. Is it an animal? Yes. A disagreeable animal? Yes. A savage animal? Yes. Does it growl and grunt? Yes. Sometimes. Does it talk? Sometimes. Yes. A parrot? Does it live in London? Yes. Can it walk about the street? Yes. Is it led about by anybody? Yeah. No. It's killed at market. Nope. It's not a horse. No. Or a cow. No. Or a bull. No. Or a dog. Or a cat. No. A bear. No. I know, I know. I found it out. It's your Uncle Scrooge! Yes! <laughs> what, me? I object. When I asked, is it a bear, your answer should have been yes. <laughs> <laughs> he has given us plenty of merriment. I am sure, and it would be ungrateful not to drink to his health. Oh, oh Fred. Fred. Here is a glass of mulled wine ready to our hand. And I say, Uncle Scrooge, a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year to you, whatever you are. You wouldn't take it from me, but may you have it nevertheless. Uncle Scrooge! Uncle Scrooge! Ebenezer touched my robe. Oh, can't we stay till I thank them? We haven't time. The whole scene passed off in a breath, and they were again on their travels. Much they saw, and far they went, and many homes they visited, but always with a happy end. Here are sick beds, and they are cheerful. Here, foreign lands, and they are close to home. Here, struggling men, and they are patient in their greater hope. Here, poverty, and it is rich. In almshouse, hospital, and jail, misery's every refuge, the spirit left his blessing and taught Scrooge his precepts. It was a long night, if it was only a night. It was strange that the spirit was growing older, clearly older. My life upon this globe is very brief. Our spirits' lives so short. It ends tonight. 
Tonight? Tonight, at midnight. Hark, the time is drawing near. Forgive me, but I see something strange and not belonging to yourself protruding from beneath your cloak. Is it a foot or a claw? It might be a claw for the flesh there is upon it. Look here. No! Look, look down here. Oh, they're hideous. Two children, a boy and a girl, stale and shriveled like old age, pinched, twisted, and pulled into a shred. Spirit, are they yours? They are mankind's. They cling to me. This boy is ignorance, this girl is want. Beware them both, but most of all beware the boy, for on his forehead is written doom, unless the writing be erased. No. Deny it. Slander those who tell it ye. Admit it for your factious purposes, and make it worse, and bide the end. Have they no refuge, no resource? Are there no prisons? Are there no workhouses? Scrooge could no longer see the ghost. Through the mist, he beheld a solemn phantom coming toward him, slowly, gravely, and silently. It was draped in a deep black hooded shroud, concealing its head, its face, its form, leaving nothing of it visible save for one outstretched hand. I am in the presence of the ghost of Christmas yet to come. The spirit did not speak, but pointed upwards with its hand. You are about to show me the shadows of the things that have not happened, but will happen in the time before us. Is that so, spirit? The spirit inclined its head. Ghost of the future. I fear you more than any specter I have seen. But as I know, your purpose is to do me good, and as I hope to live to be another man from what I was, I am prepared to bear you company and do it with a thankful heart. Will you not speak to me? Lead on. Lead on. The night is waning fast, and it is precious time to me, I know. Lead on, spirit. The phantom moved away. Scrooge following in the folds of its shroud which carried him along. The city seemed to spring up about them. The spirit stopped beside one little knot of businessmen and pointed to them. No, I don't know much about it either way. I only know he's dead. Hmm. When did he die? Last night, I believe. Why? What was the matter with him? I thought he'd never die. God only knows. What has he done with his money? I haven't heard. Left it to his company, perhaps. He hasn't left it to me, that's all I know. (laughs) (laughs) It's likely to be a very cheap funeral, for upon my life I don't know of anybody to go to it. Suppose we make up a party and volunteer. I don't mind going. If lunch is provided. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I'm the most disinterested among you, for I never wear black gloves and I never eat lunch. But 
I'll offer to go if anybody else will. When I come to think of it, I'm not at all sure that I wasn't his most particular friend. For we used to stop and speak whenever we met. Bye-bye. These men are known to me. Why do you show them to me, spirit? The spirit glided down the street and pointed to two other persons meeting. I know these men as well. Men of business. Very wealthy and of great importance. How are you? How are you? Well, the devil got them at last, eh? So I'm told. Cold, isn't it? Seasonable for Christmas time. You're not a skater, I suppose. No, no, something else to think about. Good morning. What? Not another word? That's their meeting, their conversation, their parting? Spirit, I'm surprised you show me something so trivial. What do you mean by it? They could scarcely be speaking of the death of Jacob Marley. Well, that was in the past, and your province is the future. Ah, there must be some hidden purpose to what you show me. When I see myself in the future, the riddle will be solved. They left the busy scene and went into an obscure part of town. The shops and houses were wretched. The people half-naked, drunken, slipshod, ugly. Alleys and archways reeked with crime, with filth, with misery. At the door of a low-browed, beetling shop, a woman with a heavy bundle greeted another woman, similarly laden, and a man in faded black. Is a chance? If we haven't all three met here at Old Joe's without meaning it. Hey, Joe! Look who's here. You couldn't have met in a better place. Come in, come into the parlour. Let me, the charwoman alone, be the first. Then Mrs. Dilbert. Eh? As his laundress, you alone to be the second. Then you, yes, the ma'am. undertaker's man, alone to be the third. Welcome <laughs> in. Come into the parlour. The grey-haired rascal known as Old Joe pointed the way behind a frowsy curtain of miscellaneous tatters. Among piles of refuse, irons of all kinds, and mountains of unseemly rags, the charwoman found a stool to sit upon. She threw her bundle on the floor and with crossed arms looked with cold defiance at the other two. What odds, then? What odds, Mrs. Dilber? Every person has a right to take care of themselves. He always did. That's true indeed. No man more so. Why, then? Don't stand staring as if you was afraid, woman. Who's the wiser? We're not going to pick holes in each other's pocket, I suppose. No, indeed. We should hope not. Very well, then. Who's the worse for the loss of a few things like these? Not a dead man, I suppose. No, indeed. If he wanted to keep them after he was dead, wicked old screw, why wasn't he natural in his lifetime? If he had been, he'd have had somebody to look after him when he was struck with death, instead of lying, gasping out his last there alone by himself. That's the truest words that ever was spoke. It's a judgment on him. 
I wish it was a little heavier judgment than it should have been. You may depend upon it if I could have laid my hands on anything else. Open my bundle, old Joe, and let me know the value of it. Speak out plain. I'm not afraid to be the first, nor afraid for them two to see it. We knew pretty well that we were helping ourselves before we met here, I believe. It's no sin. Open the bundle, Joe! No, please, ma'am. Allow me to go first. Hmm. Sealer two, pencil case, pair of sleeve buttons, and a brooch of no great value. <laughs> Here's your account. That's all? Not another sixpence if I was to be boiled for not doing it. Who's next? Me. Sheets and towels, little wearing apparel, two old-fashioned silver spoons, and a few boots. <laughs> I always give too much to the ladies. It's a weakness of mine. It's the way I ruin myself. <laughs> There's your account. Hey! If you ask me for another penny, I'll repent of being so generous and knock off half a crown. And now undo my bundle, Joe. What do you call these? Bed curtains? Aye, bed curtains. You don't mean to say you took them down rings and all with him lying there? Yes, I do. Why not? <laughs> you were born to make your fortune and you'll certainly do it. And don't drop any oil on the blankets now. His blankets? Who's else? He isn't likely to take cold without him, I dare say. I hope he didn't die of anything catching, eh? I ain't so fond of his company that I'd loiter about him for such a thing if he did. Ah, you may look through that shirt till your eyes ache, but you won't find a own or a threadbare place. It's a Bessie ad, and a fine one too. They'd have wasted it if it hadn't been for me. What do you call the wasting of it? Putting it on him to be buried, to be sure. Somebody was fool enough to do it. Me? But I took it off again. (laughs) (laughs) Here's your account. Ah, this is an end to it. He frightened everyone away from him when he was alive to profit us when he was dead. (laughs) Spirit, I see. I I see. The case of this unhappy dead man might be my own. My life tends that way now. Ah! Oh, merciful heaven! What is that? The scene had changed. Scrooge and the spirit were in a dark room where a pale light fell upon a bare, uncurtained bed. A dead body was under the cover. If this man could be raised up now, what would his foremost thoughts be? Avarice, hard-dealing, griping cares. They have brought him to a rich end, truly. Not a man, woman, or child in this empty house to say that he was kind. The spirit pointed... To the head. Spirit, uh, 
I would reveal the face if I could, but I, I haven't the power, spirit. This is a fearful place. Leaving it, I shall not leave its lesson. Trust me, let us go. Still, the spirit pointed to the corpse. I understand you, and I would do it if I could, but I haven't the power, spirit. I have not the power. Let me see some tenderness connected with a death. Oh, this dark chamber will be forever present to me. The spirit conducted him through many familiar streets. Scrooge looked here and there to find himself, but nowhere was he to be seen. They entered Bob Cratchit's house and found the mother and daughters seated around the fire, sewing, as Peter read to them. And he took a little child and set him in the midst of them. <gasps> mother? The, the color of the cloth hurts my eyes. The color? It's just black. Oh. Oh, poor Tiny Tim has died. There. They're better now. Makes them weak to sew by candlelight. I wouldn't show weak eyes to your father when he comes home for the world. It must be near his time. Past it, rather, but I think he has walked a little slower than he used these past few evenings, Mother. I've known him to walk very fast indeed with... with Tiny Tim upon his shoulder. Very fast indeed. And so have I, often. And so have I. But he was very light to carry, and your father loved him so, that it was no trouble. No trouble at all. There's father at the door. Come in, dear. We have your tea ready. Father, don't be grieved. I'm not. Don't worry for me. Let me see. How are Tim's clothes coming along? Why, look at that. His suit will be ready long before Sunday. Sunday? You went today, then, Robert? Yes, dear. I wish you had come along. It would have done you good to see how green a place it is. But you'll see it often. I promised him that we would walk there on a Sunday. My little child. My little, little child. Bob left the room and went upstairs where the body of Tim lay out on the bed. When he had composed himself, he clasped the little withered hand and kissed the little face and was reconciled to what had happened. He joined the family downstairs, quite happy. I met Mr. Scrooge's nephew on the street today. He saw that I looked just a little down, you know, so I told him about Tim. I'm heartily sorry for it, Mr. Cratchit, and heartily sorry for your good wife. By the by, how he ever knew that, I don't know. Knew what, dear? Why, that you are a good wife. Everybody knows that. Very well observed, Peter. I hope they do. If I can be of service to you in any way, he said, pray, come to me. That's where I live, giving me his card. It really seemed that he knew our tiny Tim and felt with us. I'm sure he's a good soul. I shouldn't be surprised if he got Peter a better situation. Hear that, Peter? You'll be keeping company with someone else and setting up for yourself. <laughs> There's plenty of time for that. But however and whenever we part from one another, I am sure none of us will ever forget poor Tiny Tim or this first parting that has come among us. Never, Father. When we recollect how patient and how mild he was, we shall not quarrel easily among ourselves and forget poor Tiny Tim in doing so. No, no, never. 
I'm very happy. I'm very happy. Spirit, something tells me that our parting moment is at hand. I know it, but I know not how. Tell me what man that was whom we saw lying dead. Where are you leading me, spirit? This court through which we hurry now is where my place of occupation is. I see my office. Let me look in to behold what I shall be in days to come. But the spirit pointed elsewhere. A churchyard? A gravestone? Before I draw near that stone to which you point, answer me one question. Are these the shadows of the things that will be, or are they the shadows of the things that may be only? Men's courses foreshadow certain ends, but if the course be departed from, the ends will change. Say it is so! Scrooge crept towards the gravestone. The spirit's finger traced the name upon it. Ebenezer Scrooge. My grave? Am I the man who lay upon the bed? No, spirit, no, no, hear me. I am not the man I was. Why show me this if I am past all hope? Good spirit, your nature intercedes for me and pities me. Assure me that I may yet change these shadows you have shown me by an altered life. I will honor Christmas in my heart and try to keep it all the year. I will live in the past, the present, and the future. The spirits of all three will strive within me. I will not shut out the lessons that they teach. Oh, tell me that I may sponge away the writing on the stone! Holding up his hands in a final prayer to have his fate reversed, Scrooge saw the spirit's hooded shroud collapse, shrink, and dwindle down into a bedpost. It was his own bedpost. It was his own bed. The room was his own. And best of all, the time before him was his own. To make amends. Oh, Jacob Marley. Heaven and Christmas be praised for this. I say it on my knees. Oh, Jacob, on my knees. Who's the bed curtains? They're not torn down, rings and all. They are they're here. I am here. Oh, I don't know. I don't know what to do. I... I'm as light as a feather. I am as happy as an angel. All this time, Scrooge was busy with his garments, turning them inside out, putting them on upside down, tearing them, mislaying them. I am as merry as a schoolboy. I am as giddy as a drunken man. He frisked into the sitting room, perfectly winded. Oh, there's my bowl of gruel. Uh, there's the door through which the ghost of Jacob Marley entered. There's the corner where the ghost of Christmas present sat. It's all, it's all right. It's all true. It all happened. Oh, a Merry Christmas to everybody. A Happy New Year to all the world. <laughs> I don't know what day it is. I don't know how long I've been with among the spirits. I, I don't know anything. 
I'm quite a baby. <laughs> oh, never mind. I don't care. I'd rather be a baby. He opened the window. No fog, no mist, just golden sunlight, heavenly sky, sweet, fresh air. He called downward to a boy in the street. Hello, my fine fellow. What's today? Today? Why, it's Christmas Day. Christmas Day? Well, then I haven't missed it. The spirits have done it all in one night. Well, of course they can. They can do anything they like. Uh, now, my fine fella, uh, do you know the poulterer's shop in the next street but one at the corner? I sure hope I did. <laughs> what an intelligent boy. It's a remarkable boy. Uh, do you know whether they've sold the prize turkey that was hanging there? Not the little prize turkey, the big one. What? The one that's as big as me? <laughs> What a delightful boy. It's a pleasure to talk to him. Yeah. Yes, my fine fella. It's hanging there now. It is. Go and buy it. Walker. No, no, I am in earnest. Go and buy it and tell him to bring it here that I may give them directions where to take it. Come back in five minutes and I'll give you half a crown. Yes, sir. I'll send it to Bob Cratchit. He won't know who sent it. <laughs> It's twice the size of Tiny Tim. His hand was not steady as he wrote the address, but write it he did somehow, and went downstairs to the street ready for the poulterer's man. The knocker on the door caught his eye. Uh, I shall love this knocker as long as I live. I scarcely ever looked at it before. <laughs> what a wonderful knocker. Here's your turkey, sir, in under five minutes. <laughs> it is as big as you. Why, it's impossible to carry that to Camden Town. You must have a cab. The chuckle with which he said this, and the chuckle with which he paid for the turkey, and the chuckle with which he paid for the cab, and the chuckle with which he recompensed the boy, were only exceeded by the chuckle with which he sat down breathless and chuckled till he cried. By this time, people were pouring forth, as he had seen them with the ghost of Christmas present. And Scrooge regarded every one with a delightful smile. He had not gone far when he beheld one of the people who had called at his counting house the day before. Uh, Merry Christmas to you. I hope you succeeded yesterday um, in collecting donations for the poor. It was very kind of you. Mr. Scrooge. Yes, that is my name, and I fear it may not be pleasant to you. Allow me to ask your pardon and... Uh, Will you have the goodness to accept a donation in the amount of... <gasps> Lord bless me! M Mr. Scrooge, are, are you serious? Not a farthing less. A great many back payments are included in it, I assure you. Oh, my dear sir, I don't know what to say to such munificence! No, don't say anything. Just come and see me tomorrow. Will you come and see me? I will! Thank you. I am very much obliged to you. I, I thank you 50 times. Bless you. He went to church and walked about the streets and watched the people hurrying to and fro and patted children on the head and questioned beggars and looked up into the windows and found that everything could yield him pleasure. He had never dreamed that any walk, that anything, could give him so much happiness. In the afternoon, he turned his steps towards his nephew's house. 
He passed the door a dozen times before he had the courage to go up and knock. Fred? Why, bless my soul! It's, it, it's I, your Uncle Scrooge. I have come to dinner. Will you let me in, Fred? Let you in? Scrooge felt at home in five minutes. <laughs> wonderful party. Wonderful games. Wonderful unanimity. Wonderful happiness. He was early at the office the next morning. If I could only be there first to catch Bob Cratchit coming late. <laughs> Nine o'clock. No Bob. Quarter past. <laughs> no Bob. Cratchit! You are a full 18 and a half minutes behind your time. What do you mean by coming in here at this time of the day? I'm very sorry, sir. I am behind my time. You are? Yes, I think you are. Step in here, if you please. It's only once a year, sir. It shall not be repeated. I was making rather merry yesterday, it, sir. Now, I'll tell you what, my friend. I am not going to stand for this sort of thing any longer. And therefore, therefore, I am about to raise your salary. Sir? <laughs> merry Christmas, Bob. Merrier Christmas, Bob, my good fellow, than I have given you for many a year. I'll raise your salary and endeavor to assist your struggling family. And, and, and we will discuss your affairs this very afternoon over a Christmas bowl of smoking bishop. Make up that fire and buy another coal scuttle before you dot another I, Bob Cratchit. Scrooge was better than his word. He did it all, and infinitely more. And to Tiny Tim, who did not die, he was a second father. He became as good a friend, as good a master, and as good a man as the good old city knew. Some people laughed to see the alteration in him, but he let them laugh, and little heeded them. <laughs> Nothing ever happens on the globe for good, at which some people do not have their fill of laughter at the outset. His own heart laughed. And that was quite enough for him. He had no further intercourse with spirits, and it was always said of him that he knew how to keep Christmas well if any man alive possessed that knowledge. May that be truly said of us. And so, as Tiny Tim observed, God bless us, everyone. During these difficult times, BTE is pleased to present this performance of A Christmas Carol free of charge, thanks, in part, to the generous support of the National Endowment for the Arts, the Pennsylvania Council on the Arts, the Schubert Foundation, the Roy Cockrum Foundation, the Columbia County Commissioners, the Columbia Montour Visitors Bureau, the Central Susquehanna Community Foundation, the First Community Foundation Partnership, the 1994 Charles B. Dagenstein Foundation, our incredible donors, and listeners like you. 
With even a small donation, you can support BTE's mission of theatrical excellence and arts education by donating at www.bte.org support. Thanks for listening. This has been a production of the Bloomsburg Theatre Ensemble. Copyright 2020.